Welcome back to another MicroConf refresh episode of MicroConf On Air. These refresh episodes are getting more and more recent. We're no longer doing talks from 2012, 2013. Today's episode is a talk that was given just about a month ago. It's by Sujan Patel, who's given at MicroConf Local in Austin. And the title of the talk is Founder-Led Sales. If you're not familiar with Sujan, he's the founder of Mailshake, and he's done a lot of outbound sales. He covers three strategies for leading sales as a founder and offers some tips on how to maximize your conversions without burdening your in-house resources. And a reminder that all of these talks are available on YouTube, youtube.com slash microconf. You should subscribe to the channel while you're there to be notified when we post new videos like this. But if you decide you want to see the visuals, you can head to youtube.com slash microconf. Before we dive into the talk, the State of Independent SaaS Survey is now live. This is the third annual State of Independent SaaS report that we are creating, and we do this to give back to the community. We don't sell this. We don't sell the data. The benefit is to all the founders out there like yourself who just want to see the trends of, are more independent SaaS companies this year offering free plans? Are more asking for credit card up front or fewer? What is the, the average conversion rate from trial to paid with credit card up front? We survey hundreds and hundreds of independent SaaS founders, and it would be amazing if you could take eight to 10 minutes out of your day, answer about 30, 35 questions, and then we spend several hundred person hours, several thousand dollars to compile it into a report. You can download last year's if you want to check it out. But today my ask is that you head to stateofindependentsass.com, fill out the survey, and you're going to be entered into a drawing for a VIP MicroConf Growth US package for next April in Minneapolis. It includes a ticket to the conference, up to $750 in airfare, and accommodations during the event. So I'd love it if you head to State of Independent SaaS and fill out the survey. And with that, let's dive in to Founder-Led Sales with Sujan Patel. What I've learned over the years is that sales is actually the highest leverage, quickest way to grow a company. And so I've been marketer converted into a sales type person. I wouldn't call myself a sales guy, but I definitely know and learn how to master sales. So why you should listen to me and why you should actually care is I've leveraged outbound sales and and sales automation to actually close dozens and dozens of six-figure deals. At my marketing agency, we've landed like Honest Company, MGM, and all sorts of large companies you would not think you could close from an, a cold email or an outbound sales call. I also run a lot of these strategies that I'm going to share today at all of my companies. So I have five SaaS companies in total. The smallest ones, high six figures. The largest ones, low eight figures. The stuff works. One of the things that I get to really take advantage of is that when I learn something once, I get to apply many. And so when I do that process, it turns into a scalable process that actually turns out anybody can apply. And so when I did this at our other companies, I realized like, holy crap, like anyone can do this. So why not? And for me, I think sales is the fastest way to grow a funnel. It's right where you can get people straight to the desire. And you're going to get a lot of people who don't go anywhere. But really, to me, it is a fast way to grow a business. And it's also a fast way to learn how to pitch your business It's a great way to get a lot of feedback, and it's a great way to build thick skin as a founder, and a lot of good feedback and ways to describe your business that you could use for your marketing collateral. So look, I think there's the inbound marketing, inbound customers, you have to build traffic, and then you have to get them to convert, and then you have to close them into sign up for your process or your product, and then 
get them to use your product and then go. And, and you should be doing that as well. And that takes time, it, it takes effort, and while you're doing that, start doing some outbound sales as well. And a lot of people think you actually need, you need a big team, you need to do all these things, it's expensive. Frankly, there's, it's not. It's fairly straightforward, and in my opinion, it's the best way an independent SaaS company can grow, because it doesn't require a lot of capital. It requires effort and a lot of failing, but not a lot of capital, because you just need a few tools. And so today I'm going to talk about um, a lot of things that we can prove through customers using Mailshake, but don't feel like you have to use a Mailshake product. You can use whatever. It doesn't matter the tool you use or the software. It matters that you automate and, and you apply these things. So by the end of this kind of 30 minutes or so, and I'll have some time for Q&A, my hope is that I can convey three big things uh, that I'll share in a second. But before I jump into those three things, really, outbound sales works. One, it can get you a high response rate if you do it well. And it's not actually, it doesn't actually require a lot of staff or people. You can have 10 email addresses from 10 different people's names and really have one person in the back end to support all these things. But it doesn't really require a lot of people. It, it, people think, oh, I need six sales reps to do all these things. Technically, you really only need one person or actually you only need one person when it starts to work as you scale. Really, you can start to book demos and meetings from it. The last part here is that it takes weeks to make things work, not years. And so, again, while you're investing in long-term growth channels like building your product, SEO, content marketing, PPC, all the other things that actually build a big business, you also want to you know, invest in outbound sales so that you could actually start to get feedback quickly. Because you'll do a campaign and it will either work or you'll get a lot of feedback from it. And every time you do this thing, you just keep doing a better job and ultimately getting success if you keep going at it. Or you'll have a better way to describe your business and understand who, who is and who isn't your customer to better drive your outbound, I mean, your marketing effort. So that's what I love about it. One more thing is people are like, oh, I don't want to kill my domain rating or I don't want to send spam. You don't have to, I'm not saying to send spam emails. I'm saying if you, if you, if you do it right, you're going to hit the right person with the right problem statement and the right solution and eventually have a productive conversation. And I'm going to share with a couple things that will help people not end up in the spam or hurt their domain. So three big takeaways today is how to write effective email copy. This is the single biggest failure. This is why people consider outbound sales spam is because most people suck at writing emails. Most people write long, lengthy emails that don't ever get read. Uh, number two is why it's considered spam and why people get annoyed at this is your people go after, when, you, when most people do outbound sales, they go after everybody. Oh, my product can work for all sorts of people. Yeah, probably, but let's just go find the one or two or three segments that it can really nail down and then write good copy for it. And then number three, just engaging on social media. So what I've learned, if you take nothing away, anyone you're gonna do a sales call with or potentially pitch, before you talk to them or email them, connect with them on LinkedIn. It's that simple. It turns that like cold relationship into a warm one and not 100% of people are going to ultimately acknowledge or even see that you connected with them but the people that do, you already start the relationship from that connect versus when, you have on the, when you're on the phone or when you email them. So first and foremost is to craft the right email copy. So I'm gonna go and give you a couple examples, but before I give you examples, let me just share three big things. Biggest problems, emails are too long 
and they fail to capture attention. And what I mean by this is you start to, you could tell an email is going to be too long when you start saying, hey, my name is blah, blah, blah. If you start an email off with my name is, or I'm from this company, you're talking about yourself and you've already lost your like eighth of a second attention span that you get by wasting it on who you are, which that information, by the way, is already available in the sender, right? Like it says the name of the person and usually the company it's from. So that information you're just wasting a whole sentence on. So it's these types of things that really hurt an email and also give email a bad rep. The other thing is personalization, right? Most people are, they try to generalize an email to fit everybody. And again, if you try to hit an email or a problem statement for everybody, well, frankly, it's going to fail, right? So let's say this group, if I talk to you and say, you're a SaaS founder or you're running a startup, it must be hard. Yeah, like running a startup is freaking hard no matter what. But if you're now, if I say, hey group, I know you're bootstrapping a startup and I know that it's hard to get funding. You should talk to TinySeed. It's hard to do this, that, and the other. Uh, I know you probably even have a full-time job or maybe some of you do or whatnot. I'm starting to pinpoint things that are specific to this audience that maybe I'm not pinging or it's not personalized to an individual, but it's personalized to a group of people. So I think a lot of people think personalization has to be to an individual. It can be to a group of people. So let's jump in. Here's, this is going to be very hard. I challenge anybody here to write a three sentence email and actually get a point across. It's freaking hard to write something a brief and short and get to the point is very difficult. So by no means am I saying writing a short, effective email is easy, but it's not supposed to be easy. It takes a lot of practice. And frankly, this is mastering your pitch. Like I said, even if you take nothing away from this, try to write a three sentence email that describes your problem, the problem people have in the space, your solution and like how to take the next step. It's freaking hard. But if you can, you ultimately will succeed because this will resonate into your landing page, your product, your onboarding emails, everything. Like a human. So simple thing here is whenever you write an email, and again, you can apply this to marketing emails as well, onboarding emails, just read your emails out loud. Seriously, just read it out loud, like 10 times. And if you are sounding, if you write and it just sounds awkward to read, that's a good sign you need to rephrase that sentence. You need to simplify that sentence and write to a 10-year-old level, right? Simplify words, minimize fancy words, simplify sentence. If you generally have a comma in a sentence, in a cold email, it's wrong. Because you just, why? You don't need to have that, that much information in an email. And stick to one goal. Another very big pain point people face is if you look at any cold email you got today, or any email you got today, people are gonna try to hit four or five things that you could help. But the reality is you just need the one. And the reason why you just need one is a cold email is not just gonna say, oh, I cold email you, you're gonna buy my service, product, whatever. The goal is to just get the conversation started. And so if you stick to the one goal of let's just start something, what's the one thing that I can say that can get people interested enough to reply? And I think a lot of folks try to say, oh, what's the things I can say? What are the three problems people are facing? And then how can I get them to be interested? And the reality is they might reply and not be interested, but that's also just as helpful. And the last thing is, I kid you not, most people fail cold emails and outbound sales because they, for, they don't follow up enough. 
uh, what's enough nine times, at least nine times. And yes, that is very aggressive. But the, you need to get a yes or a no. And I'll share with you a couple things that you can do to follow up and be not annoying. And if you have, if your follow-ups, another tip here is your follow-up emails shouldn't be, hey, I'm following up. Oh, hey, I just wanted to check in. Say something of value. What I like to send is after a first email, I might say, hey, I was reading this article and I thought of you. You could say that to about anybody about any article, frankly. So that's why my point is, if I emailed all of you guys here after this and I said, hey, I was reading about Rob's report on Indie SaaS, and I, like slide number seven really struck out as something you should read, check it out. And I have no clue what slide number seven is. But frankly, you would think I did, and you would think I would. I, I read it, and, 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 but you can do that in a very strategic way to be authentic. You don't have to be fake it like I just did right there. So here's a couple of emails that are good, bad, ugly. So this is what I like about this email. SAS Jake here emailed me right after I did a webinar. And so I was like, first of all, timely. He hit on who I was talking to on the webinar. So it was personalized to me because I did this webinar. Frankly, every single person cold emailed me and pitching me that day could have said the exact same thing. That information was out there. All they had to do was spend 30 seconds, maybe two minutes, looking me up on LinkedIn. So if they connected on LinkedIn, they would have seen something that said, I'm doing this webinar. So it's personalized, which is good. So that gets past sentence number one. And it's short, scannable. You can see how the short paragraphs, I can quickly go down and then, oh, what do they want? Oh, look, think it's worth uh, a chat. Okay, cool. What's missing here, and what I don't like about this email, is that there is no social proof. So yes, I know Saster. A lot of people here know Saster. It's a big, reputable company or conference or what have you. but. It doesn't tell me anything about why Saster's awesome. Like, why should I invest, like, talking to Saster? Uh, maybe it's how big their community is or how much traffic they get, how something, some sort of stat, case study, something relevant about Saster would help me grease the wheel a little bit to have a, a conversation with this person. Here's a bad email. I think this is bad because it, it, it almost looks good. If you look at this past email here, this is short, scannable. This looks like it's short and somewhat scannable. But it's personalized. I saw you're hiring people outside of Texas. Okay, I actually am doing that. That makes sense. But now it's, oh, my company can do blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. To me, the second sentence in this email is actually a solution to a problem I yet, I don't know what you're trying to pitch yet. So you're telling me your rippling company here, sorry, I'm just reading on the screen, is blah, blah, blah on onboarding and HR and IT staffing great in 60 seconds or 90 seconds, but wait, hold on, what's my problem? What, what's my, am I, is my current stuff taking a long time? I don't know, I have to read on. So imagine if you could hire someone, blah, blah, blah. So the next sentence is actually what the first sentence should be. So I rewrote this email to myself, and you can see I follow a little bit of the practice I just shared. Hey, I saw you're hiring people outside of Texas. Okay, that's personalized, relevant, got my attention, that's true. And I just took off the part about my company and I just said, imagine if you could hire someone in less than five minutes and do blah, blah, and blah, right? So that's it. I, I broke my own rule here of not using commas, but again, users as guidelines, not absolute rules. And then I talk about my company, right? Because at this point, if I've read this 
email to this point, I might be interested of who the heck is emailing me and why I should care. So you can't talk about a benefit or a solution without defining the problem. And if you leave it to the imagination of the person, frankly, you're going to lose their interest. And so that's the point. And then, as I mentioned, one call to action. Are you free for a quick demo on Thursday or early next week? And I like this Thursday or early next week because you could send this anytime to anyone and Thursday and early next week still applies. And the last thing is, I have no clue if this is actually true. I just wrote, made this up about this company. They're a top-rated HR software used by 5,000 fast-growing companies. That to me is, okay, I, I understand the problem. I, I actually, yes, I am facing onboarding people. It does take a long time. Oh, this company looks interesting. It looks like it solves a lot of my problems. And now, okay, it's a phone call, okay. Wait, do they have any real customers? I have no clue. Rippling could have four customers or 5,000. I have no clue. So that social proof is on the very sick, very bottom. And again, the reason for that is most likely what I'll probably do is I will look at this email and I'll scroll to the bottom of it. And who the fuck are these people? Oh, okay. 5,000 customers. They might be something worthy of looking at. So it allows me to scan up and down. So again, I would say this would be a good email and I removed all the fluff. This is a bad email again. So again, on the surface, this looks good because it's scannable. There's three bullet points, and there's a clear call to action. And I even like the fact that it says, have a few minutes to spare, schedule a meeting here, and see how you can increase your revenue and customer retention. So what I like about this is it's saying you should schedule a call with me and give me a calendar link, very easy, and then reiterating the benefit of it. So that, that part's good. But again, hi, my name is Josh, blah, 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 from blah, blah, blah. I, okay, there's a personal listen. I, I recently noticed you're providing end users with outreach analytics. First of all, if you read this email out loud, you would never use the word end users in 2021. Maybe in 2005, right? You might say users. It just flows better. So anyways, I rewrote this email to this. And so, hey, I noticed that Mailshake is helping 40,000 users with outreach analytics. I found that information on my website. I went to Mailshake.com and it says something about 40,000 users. I don't know. So 30 seconds of research could give me that personalization. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's a lot of work. 30 seconds of research for every single person I'm going to email? Yeah. I never said you have to do the work. <laughs> You can hire a VA to do all this stuff, right? You can get this information from a lot of different places. But anyways, what I really liked about this email originally is that it's scannable. It hits three points. These points seem pretty reasonable. Um, they allow me to, maybe I'm interested in one of those points. And then it's a quick, easy way to, to have the uh, book a meeting. And again, it's reiterating the value. So that part's good. So this is what I uh, rewrote it as. And the subject line was good too. So I, I didn't really change that subject line because it it's asking me a question. And if you're writing a question in a subject line, the answer to that question always has to be a yes. If it's not, a, it, it can't be like a yes and, or it can't be, it, it has to be a yes or no. And if it's a no, you have to write a different subject line that answers yes. All right. So that's failure point number one. And again, that's the biggest point where people fail in outbound sales and any, in fact, any writing of emails in general. Number two is they're reaching the wrong people or they're not segmenting enough. So a couple things I'm going to talk about is one, data collection, manual review, and email verification. Follow those three steps, and you'll get a significantly better response in these things. So first and foremost, data collection. I use these four tools. 
I think I've tried like hundreds of these, hundreds of tools out there, and there are plenty of great tools. Zoom Info, if you are selling enterprise software, they've got the best data, but it's freaking expensive. You're talking dollars per contact. But you might actually get their information, and you can get their, a real phone number you can call. However, it's going to cost you dollars. So if you don't have dollars to spend, like most of us, per contact, check out Seamless or Lucia. Not as good, but good enough, fairly accurate. And then if you're like me, go do the manual. I'm cheap and I'm scrappy. That's me. Use LinkedIn Sales Navigator. And what I would do here is use LinkedIn Sales Navigator, $50 or $60 a month, and go find the personas you want to go ping. So I'm going to go find, in this particular use case, it's SDRs in Europe, right? So I'm, we sell sales software to salespeople. We've identified at MailShake, our core customer is a sales rep, not a sales manager, not a VP of sales, not a CRO, a sales rep. And so we're focusing on a sales rep and in Europe. Specifically, we would write copy in this particular case that would target sales reps' problems they have in Europe. And then you can use Sales Navigator and Vala Norbert to find an email address. And so that's the overlay on the right-hand side of the screen. You do a search, and you can find an, an bulk, bulk uh, one-click search, essentially. There's other tools like this, too. DuckSoup, D-U-X, Soup, does a good job of this as well. But ultimately, what you're doing is like manually doing this and then exp and finding their email addresses. What I like about this approach versus going and buying a list is because you guys are all savvy founders or entrepreneurs. When you see a result and it's, that doesn't make any sense, you probably will think about maybe revising the search result or maybe thinking about a different way. And so it forces this manual review versus just going and buying contact information or finding it. Now, if you're doing outbound sales or any type of sales now, please do this process. Hire a VA on Upwork, very easy. And their job is to do two things. Check to make sure the list is accurate or like just a sanity check. I find a lot of times you've got great info, you've you bought information from Zoom Info or you got this information from LinkedIn, but it's like, hold on, that email doesn't make sense. Maybe I shouldn't email Bill Gates at Microsoft. He's probably not a sales rep in Europe, but somehow he might have fit in. So just do a gut check essentially, and then also run it through an email verification software. And what that will do is verify email addresses to make sure they actually exist. Uh, or that person that is you're emailing didn't just leave the company or whatever, and this will affect positively your spam rating, which means you will eventually you'd actually get this person, get in contact with this person. And, and lastly, the VA will warm up the leads on social media. So the last part of this is engage on social first. So what I mean by this is one to two weeks before you send them an email, connect with them on LinkedIn. Why one to two weeks? Because I don't know about you, but I don't check LinkedIn every single minute. I don't check LinkedIn as much as I check emails. And so if you send a, somebody a connection request the day before, and then you email them, it's likely that they will not see it. So one to two weeks is a good point. Um, and what I do is I have my VAs hit that connection request when I am actually, when they're verifying that contact information and doing that manual review. And then if you want to go a step further, which again, I suggest you do because this would just make your emails come out way better, is engage on their content, so comment, right? And this is what good engagement looks like. So I'm doing this now. This is from a few weeks ago. I'm commenting on people that I want to eventually get in touch with. And these people probably haven't even got an email from me, to be honest, but they will. So if you are these people, sorry, I'm going to email you. All right, 
So a little bit about MailShake and some resources. So all this stuff is hard. MailShake helps you automate it, so apologize for the sales pitch here, but essentially you can set up a cadence, and, and boom, you're, you set up this cadence, and all your job is now is to keep putting people into this pipeline. Obviously, this assume it's working. A couple of really valuable resources is this cold email masterclass. So if you're thinking about writing an email, just check it out. It's free. It's mailshake.com slash masterclass. It will, you'll pretty much get a, like a crash course in writing emails. But again, stick to that three sentence um, email or a short, sweet email, and that's it. All right, we have time for questions. Susan, if you can repeat the question before Sounds the answer. Good. So the question was, how often do I track the performance of the emails, and how often am I recrafting or modifying, updating these emails? Um, I track email performance, or my campaign performance every week, and what my goal is for my sales team or folks on my team to have demos. And so I'm tracking it. If it's working, I'm tracking it less, typically weekly. If it's not working, I'm trying to get it set up. I'm tracking it per prospect. So per persona of people I'm emailing, okay, is this persona resonating? Is this resonating with this copy? Or where is the failure point? I'm looking for breaking points. Breaking points would be like, are they not even opening my email? That means I probably have a bad subject line. Are they opening my email, but they're not replying or doing the action I need? Maybe I need to revise the email copy. Maybe I need to revise the call to action. And so those are the types of things. In terms of how often I'm modifying or updating the copy, not as often as you would think. As I, I, the answer really is as minimal as needed, <laughs> right? So I spend a whole lot of time, couple, usually five or six tries of emails and optimization to find the right prospect and the right copy that resonates with that, the prospect. So four or five different times. Once it works, I'm tweaking small things, but that's about it, until it stops working. And I will tell you, just like everything else in marketing, sales copy will eventually die. And the, real, the rule of thumb is, if you read a template, if you can find a template on the internet, it's usually close to dying. So hope that helps. So the question is, if you're gonna be really ultimately doing, you have multiple people at a company you can sell to, how do you go about messaging them and what's the best practices there? So that's really account-based marketing, which, is, which I think is the most effective way. If you could get into a company from multiple places, I would say, I would create four different, let's like say it's four different people. You've got the CEO, you've got the VP of sales, you've got the sales rep, and I don't know, uh, the customer support person. Those are four different emails, four different pain points. The CEO is like, hey, you're leaving money on the table. The VP of sales is, oh, hey, your sales team is ineffective. Your sales rep is like, hey, you could be saving time. See, it's the same problem, it's just, there's a di the way the person interprets it's different. Support person might be like, hey, your sales team, you need to forward this to your sales team. And they will, because the, their job is to triage a bunch of stuff. Four different campaigns, and then one of them responding. What you don't want to do is start a cold email or any outbound sales with a lie. Forward, re, those things will get open rates. They will for sure, but you ultimately start that relationship with a lie. And that will help, that will make everything else afterwards harder. And you don't also want to say, hey, your sales rep told me to talk to you. you. Again, you can get away with it, these types of things, for a while. But you end up, when you don't close a deal, you get the negative, you get the no answer. You end up leaving a bad taste, which what I usually do is after I get the no, those are not a, it's not a no forever. It's a, I'm going to follow up in six months or a year, or some other sales rep is going to go at it.
Yeah, so the question was, how do you know if you don't have the right persona or the right copy? So first and foremost, it's always start with the persona. It's always the persona and you work around the copy around that. Is it the right problem? So the copy problem is more of, am I saying the right, am I hitting on something that actually matters to them? And what, the way I figure that out is I do customer interviews or interviews of potential customers. And I ask them like, do you actually care about your time? And so here's a good example of this. So we used to sell this, our software to VP of sales. And they're just like, I don't give a crap if my sales rep has to do all this hard work. That's their freaking job. And I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense from that vantage point. And the sales rep's like, I really hate doing these five things. My boss is on my ass to do them. I just don't have enough time. And so it's think about the problem and validate it with the persona first. And then it's if you validate it, and let's just say you talk to five people and they're like, yep, this is a real problem, then, you, then it's the copy problem after that. So spend all this time building your list, but then you send a bad sequence and you shoot yourself in the foot there. It's following that process. So first and foremost, don't run before you walk. And so validate whether whatever your pitch is, whatever your email sequence is, is gonna work with 50 people, 100 people. And if it does work there, go to 1,000. And what most people do is they find a prospect list of 5,000 people, and then they go email all 5,000 people. What you should have done is email, do five tests of 100, find what copy resonates, and then go email the 4,500 people with that best copy. So don't get discouraged, dude, I failed for five years straight. So I think probably the last two years it started working. And I, I could tell you is the two problems was like, my problem wasn't actually the problem that the prospect cared about. So uh, talking to them would be helpful. And then number two was the, the way I was going about writing that copy was to, well, I was trying to like close the deal on the copy and not just get the conversation started. And again, like all you need is a reply or somebody click on a link or even open the email because you can follow up and uh, don't get discouraged. I think that list could still be good. Just wait like maybe six months and start slow and figure it out again. Yeah. So question was around like Apple's recent change in iOS 15 and the privacy and pretty much Apple has removed tracking from emails. It's mostly affecting email marketing efforts. It, and ultimately I think it could be a trend that happens everywhere else. Every other mail provider is going to go down this route of removing pixels and links and all these things. So it, it, affects, it affects open tracking. Any tracking that uses a pixel, pretty much Apple will remove it. I don't think it's as huge of a deal as, it, as people are making it because, first of all, it only applies to Apple Mail on their iOS devices, which a lot of people don't use that. Like, people can use a Gmail app and now you don't have that. A lot of people use them. So it doesn't apply to a lot of those folks unless they use Apple Mail. Ultimately, you still get tracking and it's still a work in progress. So I'm still monitoring this. What you lose is open tracking and you lose a lot of HTML and any type of scripts inside of the email. But for a cold email, your copy should be, it should be a plain text email uh, with the link. So you'd still see the link. And so I would look at metrics for cold emails, not as opens and clicks of links as replies. That's my ultimate North Star in my cold email efforts. And so you don't really lose that. Yes, you might lose leading indicators, but it's only on a segment of people. So you're not, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. It does feel like the world is ending with that update and 
I don't think it will, because if you look at the stats of how many people use Apple Mail, and have an iPhone, first of all, have an iPhone, use Apple Mail with whatever mail provider, it's not a big, it's not a huge. Yeah, so the question is like, why am I tracking my cold emails with reply as a success rate, not a conversion or conversation or anything further down the funnel? Because a cold email's job is to have, get a reply, is to get a conversation started, and then, and that will be if it's working or not. I ultimately am tracking the efforts of outbound sales with how much revenue, how many demos are being booked. But after that, it's a person problem. Is that person that it's replying back to, are they doing the right things? And so what I do is once my job is to fill my salesperson's email and calendar with and replies. So they're going to get X replies, aka leads or interested parties. And then their job is to take them down the funnel and actually close them. And so I'm measuring that person's job uh, success based off those metrics. Because it, ultimately, it's their fault if it doesn't work, right? If, if someone else is making it work. But it, not the cold emails part at that point. Any other questions? All right. How much time do we have left? For two okay. more? All right, two more questions. Go ahead. How did you Yeah. So the question is around how did you get them like ready to be selling and from that cold email effort to doing demos and whatnot. And lots and lots of training, lots of coaching. So first and foremost, two, two, three tips here on hiring a right sales rep. There's a, I always try to hire somebody who's been doing, has done that job before where they've done demos and, and usually the second job out of college because it's still a grind. It's, it's the second or third job out of college where they're still interested in being a sales rep Red flag is if they're not interested in doing demos and they want to raise it, grow in their career to be a manager. They're too far along and they're not going to do the, the, the dirty work, essentially, <laughs> the hard work. Because at that point, they're on, the, they're on the phone like eight hours a day. Not necessarily doing cold calls, but like doing the demos. So there's two different roles. The person, so my sales manager and I manage the whole funnel of who goes and what copy gets created. My sales reps, they have input and feedback into that, but their job is only to receive the replies and do the demos and do all that follow-up. And you can even break it up into person managing all the cold email and outbound sales, like the, the strategy and the brains and who, goes, who you go after, the person doing all the replies, because that could be a VA too, and then a sales rep doing only demos. So it could be an, an SDR and then an AE, account, account executive who's doing all the demos, that really depends on how big of a deal cycle you have, like how big the deal is and how long of a sales cycle it is. Start with just an SDR, a single person, and then expand into there. Um, Jay Barrows has a really good course, but now we're going into a whole lot more sales stuff. All right, so the question was, how, have you played around with your LinkedIn profile to you know, get better attention? Yes, absolutely. There's a headline on your LinkedIn profile when I'm recruiting people, when I'm going outbound to recruit people, I'm saying we're hiring XYZ position. And that is intentional because I'm emailing those exact people. And when I connect with them on LinkedIn, they will see that. It'll be Sujan Patel, not like founder of Mailshake, blah, blah, blah. It'll be recruiting the world's best, blah, blah, like something creative. So that definitely helps a lot. Don't get too carried away with it. Don't get too aggressive with it. Think of this as the solution statement that you can put in a LinkedIn profile. Thanks for listening to the MicroConf podcast. We'll be back next week with another amazing talk from recent MicroConf events. And as a reminder, head to stateofindependentsas.com 
fill out the survey and you can be entered to win a VIP MicroConf Growth US package, as well as contribute data to what's going to be an amazing report that we turn out here in the next two or three months. Thanks for listening this week. We'll be back again next week.